right, Crossing Church, how are you doing today? Doing all right? I don't know how we can't be doing all right when we serve a God that turns graves into gardens. When we serve a God who turns bones into, I mean, and, and we all know, hopefully you know today, He is the only one who can do that. You can't do that, I can't do that, but He can do that. And He's doing incredible things uh, even now. I was, uh, I was talking to Bill uh, Twaddell back there, who uh, at the 48th Street campus, he's right over here. But uh, in the Vandalia Women's Prison, uh, I think we have, what, 80, is it 86? 86 baptisms scheduled. You know what you call that in a church? You call that revival. And uh, you can have a revival in a women's prison. And that's pretty awesome, isn't it, what God can do? Because He can turn all of those things into other things. I want to welcome all of our campuses joining with us all across this region. If you're inside or online, so thankful uh, for each and every one of you. And we're celebrating Monmouth is having its fourth anniversary today. Awesome. All those people way up in the north uh, from us, and we're so excited uh, for that. And you think with all the victories that we experience in the kingdom of God and with one another, you think that we just ought to be walking around with these dumb smiles on our faces all the time. But that's really not the case, is it? Uh, many of us are dealing, I mean, all of us right now at some level are dealing with stress. And some of us are in a stage of burnout. We're struggling with that. That's what this series is about. It's about mental health, weeds in my garden, and and. You know, we struggle in these various areas. We don't like to talk about it so much because, you know, we don't want to project weakness or we don't want to project that we're kind of maybe in some way, in some form out of control in our lives. But we really, really do need to, to deal with it. Uh, there was a Barna study came out last week about pastors and said between 2021 and 2022, the incidence of pastors who were stepping out of ministry because of burnout had increased 13% in one year. And if pastors don't have that idea, that understanding of God, you know, and the victories that God's giving, and, and you know, and they have supposedly all the tools, and that's happening, how much everybody else is dealing with this, these realities? So I imagine right now every single one of us in this room and all the rooms across, everyone that's listening to me, you're dealing with some sort of stress right now because it comes from literally every area of our life. Let's list them. You might be under pressure. You might be facing some big change in your life. You might be feeling a lack of control. You may be shouldering a heavy responsibility. You may be feeling uncertain about the future. You might... Uh, uh, be because you're facing multiple issues at once. That's mine. Uh, one, I'm good. Give me three or four. <clears throat> okay? It's hard for me to deal with multiple issues at once. You might be feeling the effect of past experiences on present experiences. You might be having a lack of resources right now or feeling a lack of support right now. It might be triggered by illness or injury or parenting, or infertility, or bereavement, or abuse, or marriage, or divorce, or relationships, or caregiving. You might have lost your job. You might have, be dealing with unemployment long term, maybe retiring, feeling the pressure of deadlines, exams, 
work strife, a new job. You might be moving, dealing with difficult neighbors, worrying about money, or drowning in debt. Wow. Did I find it? One of those hits you? You're going, no, Jerry. About 14 of them did. Right? Because we're all dealing with stress. And it isn't abnormal to experience stress in our life. We shouldn't expect that we could avoid it because it's a part of life. The issue isn't whether or not we're experiencing stress. The issue is if we're managing it in a healthy way or in an unhealthy way. Because if we're not, it can lead to a lot of bad things. But particularly, it could lead to something else that is far more debilitating, and that's burnout. I know we use that term generically. We use a lot of terms generically. But there is such a thing as clinical burnout. Let me show you the difference. So there's a difference between stress and burnout. Let's look at those today. Here's the first one. Stress is over-engagement. You understand what that means. That's like where you commit to too many things and you just don't seem to have enough time or energy to manage them all. But burnout is disengagement. You might have overactive emotions. You're getting too passionate or just really, really strong emotions when you're under stress. But when you're in burnout, your emotions get blunted. Even You might even describe yourself as numb. Under stress, there's urgency or hyperactivity. Like you just, you, you know, just totally on all the time. But in burnout, the opposite happens. Helplessness and hopelessness. Under stress, there can be a loss of energy. But under burnout, there's a loss of motivation and a loss of hope. Under stress, you might be dealing with issues of anxiety. But in burnout, you get detached and you feel depressed. Under stress, you can physically damage yourself. Heart attack, stroke, I mean, things like that can happen, right? But in burnout, you have emotional damage, not just physical damage. And stress can be life-threatening, as I said. But burnout, life doesn't feel like it's worth living anymore. Some of us, even in positive moments of our lives, can be so driven by our purpose and our passion that we can allow massive amounts of stress into our lives. But if we're not coming from a position of well-being, we can spin out and end up in a ditch. It can really happen. Some of you right now are relating to what I'm saying way, way more than you want to. Because you fit the description. I was putting some of those things up and you're like, wow, that's, uh, oh, oh, that hits me too, right? Maybe you're burned out right now at this moment. I want to give you some hope on the front end of this sermon. That does not mean that you're done just because you're burned out. Because God can help you. He can even use the negative space that's in your life right now and, and transform it into part of your testimony. So I need for all of you to lean in to what I'm saying today. What is burnout? Well, here's the clinical definition. Burnout is a debilitating condition that erodes energy, optimism, and effectiveness. And the prevalence of burnout is far greater than our willingness to talk about it or to take steps to deal with it. And burnout 
is kind of like a train that pulls into stations, okay? And there's six of these stations or stages of burnout. This is kind of how it begins and this is how it develops until you are clinically burned out. And I want us to go through those stages together. The first stage of burnout is emotional exhaustion. Are you feeling that? I wonder if anybody's feeling that. Some emotional exhaustion. That's when you need to be thinking, oh, am, am, I, coming, am, I, am I on this train track and am I heading toward clinical burnout? Second stage, increased frequency and duration of negative assessment. So this has to do with how you view yourself, okay? So if you view yourself in a negative light, if you're in burnout or moving in the direction of burnout, there's more of those times you feel that way and they last longer than they normally do. Stage three, loss of emotional stability, personal discipline, and resiliency. Emotional stability means you lose your filters. And you, 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 you're, you start riding the roller coaster of emotions. Personal discipline, it could be one thing or another thing in ways that you let yourself go or you disconnect from things that they were normally rules in your life. And resiliency, you just don't bounce back like you used to bounce back. Stage four, isolation. Really getting dangerous here. Where we think nobody understands what we're, I'm dealing with. I don't see any way out of this and no one can help me. Stage five, diminished work effectiveness. You just can't do what you used to be able to do as well as you were able to do it before because of those other four stages. And stage six, which is clinical burnout, is identity impairment and confusion. You no longer understand who and whose you are, and you're confused about it. Now, I'm no doctor. Actually, most of all that came from a doctor, but I'm not a doctor or a therapist. But I do know God's Word. And there are plenty of examples in God's Word of people that were uh, working through burnout or dealing with burnout. And I want to use one of those examples today because I think it's going to teach us how to spot those signs and uh, how to manage the stress uh, that is in our lives so that we don't end up in a place called burnout. And if we do, how to find our way out of that or how to access God to get out of that. And the example I'm going to use today is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's the story of Elijah, Elijah the prophet of the Old Testament. Now, God kind of calls Elijah out of nowhere. You just all of a sudden read about him. You don't get any background story. You don't understand like how he got to where he was. But God just delivers a message to Elijah that he has to deliver his message, God's message, to the king of Israel. And he was an evil king. His name was Ahab. And his wife was even more evil than he was. Her name is Jezebel. Now, there's not very many people that want to say, hey, I want to name my child Ahab. And even less, if I have a little princess of a girl to say, Jezebel, that's going to be her name. You know, those, those names are kind of like off the table because of the story in the Bible. And Elijah wasn't a guy who delivered good news. And because of that, he was not appreciated. And that's an understatement. He wasn't that he just wasn't appreciated. He lived every day in fear of his life because the people who were angry with the message that God delivered through Elijah would take it out on Elijah. 
Think about the stress of that. So this is a man who lived in this world of stress every day. He was called out of a simple life to bring bad news about God's judgment. And by the way, most prophets delivered bad news. They didn't deliver good news. And then they had to face whatever response there would be from whatever God said. Now, Elijah's first assignment in 1 Kings 18 was to declare that because of the rebellion and the idolatry uh, and the godlessness of the people of Israel, God was bringing a drought. It wasn't going to rain for years. And that meant there was going to be a famine. Now that was going to cause a lot of stress to the people of Israel. And that was designed to bring them to repentance. But it was also going to create a lot of stress for Elijah because he was the one delivering that message. Well, when that started and the drought began and the famine ensued, he had to leave the country. So there's a lot of stress in that, having to pull up and just leave the country, go to a place that you're not used to. He had to totally depend on God. As a matter of fact, God had him sit at a brook and he had to be fed every day by ravens. It's a pretty amazing story about how God kept him healthy during this time of, uh, of drought and famine. But can you imagine just living that every day, not knowing are the ravens coming back? Are the, is the water going to continue to flow? And as a matter of fact, the water did stop flowing. More stress. And when the water dried up, God said, I want you to go to this other country and live in the home of a widow. But she was a Gentile, and Jews don't do that. More stress. And then he helped this widow along. God gave him a message to tell the widow, take the last little bit of food, because she said, I'm going to take this last little bit of flour and this last little bit of oil, and I'm going to make a cake, and my son and I are going to eat it, and we're going to die of starvation, because it was the last that she had. And God told Elijah to tell the widow to make that cake for him instead of her and her son. How would you like to tell that to two people who are starving to death? And then God worked a great miracle. But, and they were surviving because the oil continued to flow, right? You may, you may remember that story from the Old Testament. But in the, even with all of this good happening, the son grows ill and dies. And then the widow's like, now what do, what do I do? More stress. So God calls Elijah to raise the boy back to life, which he does. But think about the stress of just day-to-day -day life. And on top of all of that, Ahab was having to worry about whether or not Ahab's people were going to catch him, find him and catch him, because they were looking for him to kill him. It says it in 1 Kings 18.10. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master, that's Ahab, has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. Every day. Every single day for three solid years, he dealt with that stress. I guess I'm just saying that Elijah is a good character in the Bible to look at if we're dealing with stress or what can come from stress, which is burnout. Then God tells him after three years, we're going to have a duel with Ahab. A duel. Like when I think of duel, I think of like a western, right? 
Well, this is a little different than that. So Elijah challenges Ahab, just going to Ahab, he's risking his life, and Jezebel's prophets of the idol Baal, or we might say Baal, there were 450 of them to a duel. Now, this is what the duel looked like. It was going to be on Mount Carmel, which is by the Mediterranean Sea. It rises up from the Mediterranean Sea, high mountaintop. And on top of this mountain, Elijah was going to meet with the prophets of Baal, and they were going to both build an altar to their God, and they were both going to put a sacrifice, wood, and a sacrifice on that altar to their God. And then whoever was God was going to burn up the sacrifice. Elijah said, to the people of Israel, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If, Baal is God, if Baal's God, serve him. If the Lord is God, serve him. And so the whole nation comes together to watch this duel between one prophet, Elijah, and the 450 prophets of Baal. They both build their altars. They both put the sacrifices on, the wood on. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first. So they go first. They start praying to their God. Nothing happens. They pray louder. Nothing happens. They pray louder. Nothing happens. And then Elijah starts taunting them. He goes, maybe you should pray a little louder. Maybe, maybe he's just having trouble hearing you. Maybe he's in a far country. You might want to pray a little louder. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Literally says that in the Bible. Anyway, all day long they cry out to their God and nothing happens. They become frantic in their crying out. They start cutting themselves with knives, trying to show their devotion to their God. But by the time evening came, they were completely exhausted and nothing had happened on that altar to Baal. And then Elijah said, well, okay, it's my turn. He goes, before I pray to my God, I want to take the most precious thing we have right now. I want to douse this altar with water. So he, he brought this precious water up to the altar. They dug a trench around the altar. He covered the altar with water until the sacrifice was soaked, the wood was soaked, the, uh, the, the stones of the altar were soaked, and even the trench was completely filled. And then he takes a knee, prays one little prayer, he goes, let the people of Israel know that there is only one God in Israel. And fire came down from heaven and didn't just burn up the sacrifice. It blew up the rocks of that altar. It licked up all of the water and evaporated it. And there was nothing left but scorched earth. And all of the people of Israel that were gathered around that mountain that day said, the Lord he is God. The Lord, He is God. And then Elijah said, take those prophets of Baal down to the Kaishan brook and execute them. And all 450 of them were executed that day. What a win for God. What an incredible moment. What a win for Elijah. They should throw a party. They should have a parade. You know, it's so good to see the good guy win. Not so much. Not so much. What happens next? Pretty interesting. 1 Kings 19, 1-5a. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah 
to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. I'm going to kill you, dude. Elijah was afraid. Are you kidding me? Look what God's done. Look at all the winds. You kidding me? As a matter of fact, after the prophets of Baal were killed, Elijah sent someone out to look over the sea and say, tell me if you see any clouds. Remember, it hadn't rained for three years. And he didn't see any. And then he said, go back. And he sent him back seven times to look. Seven times he goes, there's a little teeny cloud right at the horizon. He goes, better start running because it's going to start raining. Sure enough, that very day, the rains came. And the ground was made fertile again. You'd think that Elijah would have gone, yeah, but he was afraid. Can't believe it, Elijah, you're my hero. How could you be afraid? Not only was he afraid, he ran for his life. A time when he should be relishing the victory, he runs for his life. And he went to Beersheba in the middle of the wilderness in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. He sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. What is going on? Tells God this, I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Now before you're going, what happened to my hero? Maybe you should consider this. Elijah is burned out. He's burned out. Let's go through those stages again. Number one, is he emotionally exhausted? You bet he is. Look what he's been doing for three solid years. Does he have an increased frequency and duration of negative self-assessment? Yeah. He said, I am no better than my ancestors to, to God, right? Does he have a, a loss of emotional stability and resiliency? Yeah. He goes, Lord, I've had enough. I quit. Does he feel totally isolated? Look at 1 Kings 19.10. He replied, this is talking to God. He goes, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. Look at this. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He says that to God two times. After a while, God answers him. He goes, you know what, Elijah? I have 7,000 in Israel that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. He feels isolated, but he's not. And he's no longer effective. That's God's assessment of him. This is what it says uh, in 19.9. It says, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I mean, he had disconnected from his mission. He has identity impairment and confusion. You have to have identity impairment and confusion if you're asking God to take your life, to kill you. What am I saying this for? Well, because Elijah's messed up. He's burned out clinically. 
When you have identity impairment and confusion, you are clinically burned out. And some of you right now are relating to him. You may not be dealing with what he's dealing with, may be completely different, but you understand what I'm saying. So the, if that is the situation, and we can all be in this situation, and some of us are on the, those tracks now, and some of us are dealing with high amounts of stress right now, what do we do about it? What do we learn from God's Word about dealing with it? Number one, God took care of Elijah physically. He fed him. Now see, you may not know this by looking at me, but I'm a stress eater. <laughs> That's a joke, never mind. Anyway, Elijah went the other direction. He wouldn't eat at all. When he was stressed, he wouldn't eat. He would, he would neglect himself in that way. And so God had to provide food for him, had to provide water and sustenance for him. And the other thing was, he needed to sleep, and God let him sleep. And when you read that, he slept quite a while. He was wiped out. So God took care of him physically. This actually puts Elijah in a position where he can actually hear God again. Some of us, we are in a position where we can't even hear God right now because we're dealing with burnout. If you are dealing with burnout, this is what you need to look at first. You need to look at how are you physically because you need to be in a position where you can even hear God, right? Are you eating right? Are you getting enough sleep? What are the proactive things that you can do to modify your behavior or your workload so that you can be in that more healthy headspace to be able to listen to God spiritually? Secondly, God did this. He reminded Elijah of the big picture, what he was doing. Remember, Elijah wasn't the one delivering the people. Elijah wasn't one that made the fire come down from heaven. God did that. This was all God's doing. It wasn't Elijah's doing. All that Elijah's doing is playing a part that God wanted him to play in this process of what he, the Heavenly Father, was doing. But Elijah, in his mind, had really drifted. He thought it all depended on him. He was real specific with God that way. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. I have been very zealous for, God, for you, God. You know, he's... He's kind of puffing himself up, thinking it was all on him. It wasn't on him. It was on God. And so Elijah's mission had really drifted. He had forgotten his priorities. He'd forgotten the main things. Those priorities and those main things are really important. Do your priorities and your main things fall away? Because the urgent in your life can overpower, can overpower the important things in your life. Is that true? We can give the next thing all that we have and then have nothing left for the important things. Let me just tell you, I have had that problem in my life where I have just poured it out and poured it out and poured it out for the church and my mission and feeling like that all that burden was on me. And then I come home to my wife and my family and there's nothing left for them and they say one little thing and it pops me off. You know what? Anybody, anybody connecting with this? And I'm hiding behind my relationship with God when I'm forgetting the important things that that my first ministry my first ministry is to my family and if my family isn't strong and I'm not strong with them I am not coming from a place of strength. 
and I'm not much good for anyone. Number three, God had told Elijah that he didn't need to be doing this alone, that he needed partnership in ministry, that he needed to go find someone to walk with him in ministry. Because Elijah was under the false assumption that he was completely alone and he could do it alone because of stage four of burnout. He was isolated. That isolation took away his resiliency and his accountability. As I said before, God reminded him that he wasn't alone, that there were 7,000 people like him that hadn't bowed to Baal, and one of them needed to be a more constant companion and a successor. See, we were never meant to do this life alone. And it's in isolation where Satan can get to us. Okay. I don't have time to tell you about the incredible time that God had with Elijah when he spoke to him on the mountain. But I'll tell you this. Elijah was burnt out, but he didn't stay that way. Even though he had this incredibly dark moment in his life, maybe an extended time, of all of the great examples in the Bible, Elijah actually finished really, really well. He's one of only two people that never died in the Bible. Did you know that? There are only two, Enoch in the book of Genesis and Elijah the prophet. And boy, did he leave in a powerful way. When God told him it was time to go, he went to the other side of the Jordan River. He'd raised up a companion who had been with him for quite some time, Elisha. And the two of them made it to the other side of the Jordan. And the Bible says that a whirlwind, a tornado, came down from heaven and picked Elijah up. And he rode a whirlwind to heaven. It says also that a chariot of fire with an angel was in between that whirlwind and Elisha, protecting Elisha from the whirlwind. And the Bible says that Elisha tore his clothes and he said, My God, my God, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Just the two of them over there. What a way to go. Never died. And when Elisha started to walk across the other side of the Jordan, he had asked God and Elijah for a double portion of the Spirit of God. And Elijah said, that's not mine to give, but if God wants to give it to you, he will. And the mantle or the, cover, the cloak of Elijah came down from that whirlwind. And Elisha picked it up. It says he rolled it up when he went over to the Jordan and he smacked the water. And he goes, where is the God of Elijah? And the water parted and he walked across it on dry land. Wow. He left an incredible successor and he was a faithful prophet. And he was a faithful prophet for 60 years in Israel. Lots longer than Elijah had been. And when he died, an old man in his bed, surrounded by the elders of Israel, there was no whirlwind, there were no chariots of fire. But with the moment he breathed his last, all the elders of Israel tore their clothes and said, My God, my God, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elijah finished so well. My question to you is, how do you make your story like that? 
You're going to deal with stress. I'm going to deal with stress. There's no avoiding it. But if you want to prevent burnout, the best thing you can do is catch it early. You remember that first stage? Emotional exhaustion. Are you feeling a loss in vitality? Are you feeling overextended emotionally? Are you having prolonged stress? This is where you start need to take, take care of those things. How am I doing physically? Am I, am I mission drifting? Am I trying to do it by myself? Where am I in those stages of burnout? Some of you in all of our locations are here today, and part of your job is responsibility for the wellness of others. Not just physical, but educational, emotional, right? And if you're in that position, you're at much greater risk. You might feel responsible for outcomes in their life. I know I've done that in counseling. I'm counseling a married couple. They're, getting, they're, they're, they're contemplating divorce. And I, I, I pour my heart into them and they still get divorced or, you know, or, or something like that. And so I start to feel responsible for specific outcomes when I do not have full control of the inputs. Just because I'm counseling doesn't mean they're following that advice. Some of you are at greater risk because you're dealing with that. You might have inadequate boundaries for self-care. And you're overriding your personal needs because you need to come from a position of strength for others. And you might think that's noble. But you're not going to help them unless you're in a strong place yourself. So I would encourage you, do a physical assessment. Do what you need to do to put you in a place to hear and respond to God better. Number two, find places of personal, emotional replenishment. A place where you can disconnect from the stress and have a moment or maybe a few moments with God. You need that because... In that, you rebuild the position of stability. Number three, remember the big picture. Prioritize the important over the urgent. Because that's where we can mission drift. And sometimes doing that costs you. I've known people, you know, they, they, they find a, a faith at, at like our church at the crossing. And then there'll be a job opportunity, it'll be another place, and they're thinking about the money, they're thinking about the prestige, they're thinking about the better lifestyle, and they'll move. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. But where are they going to get their spiritual sustenance? And if that isn't even considered, and then they go there, and there isn't any place, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people just flame out. Because they were getting that. Sometimes... The money or the prestige isn't the most important thing. Sometimes the urgent wins over the important. Make sure the important wins, even though it costs you. I like to say it this way. Find a place where God becomes bigger and you become smaller. It's not that God wasn't always bigger. It's that it's a redirection of our priorities. Where you realize it doesn't all depend on you. It depends on God. And God's going to use you for His glory. And the final one, never, ever walk alone. Do you know everywhere Jesus ever went, He walked? He didn't get an Uber. Didn't take a bus. Didn't catch a plane. Didn't have to stay in a terminal because His flight got canceled. He walked. 
Let me ask you a question. What do you think the most important walk Jesus took was? Somebody say it. Of all of his walks, which was the most important one? The one to the cross. Let me ask you a question. Was he alone? No. There was someone else carrying his cross while he walked Calvary. And if Jesus wasn't alone, why should you be alone? We weren't meant to walk alone. Your story can be like Elijah. Even if you're dealing with burnout, even if you're stressed out, you can be like Elijah. You can finish well. You can do well. But the first step of that is getting that priority right with the Lord. I want you to consider that as we move to a time of decision. So some of you right now are doing life on your own. You're doing life on your own. You're just like, hey, I, I grew up, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I, I'm not, I'm not asking anybody. I'm, I, do, I can do it. Like you're like that two-year-old kid. I do it. And I just have to tell you a hard truth. If you're doing life on your own, I'm not going to tell you you might fail. I'm going to tell you will. You will fail. Because you're not meant for that. And the person that needs to be the first one in the group that is you walking forward is Jesus Christ. And if you don't have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you are destined for failure. But if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ that's intimate and personal, you will succeed. Because the Bible says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Some people say, well, you use Jesus as a crutch. That's an old saying. And you know the answer to that one. No, I don't use Jesus as a crutch. I use him as a stretcher. Because I can't even limp in the right direction without him. You need him first. If you don't have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, someone's going to be right over there by that baptistry ready to talk to you about that, pray with you about that. They're no better than you, no smarter than you, no more, more experienced than you. They just want to help. Settle that first. Some of you are like, cool, got that settled. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I got that relationship. Really good. Awesome. How you doing? How you doing? No, 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 no. Not the lie you tell everybody that you said to everybody in the lobby before you came in. Fine. That's a four-letter word. Because we're not fine. But you don't want to burden everybody else with your problems. I get that. That's why we don't like to talk about stress and burnout. Because we don't want to burden everybody else. Right? Cast all your cares on Him. Because He cares for you. The steps that are up here right now are up here for one reason. Not so people can get up and down from the stage. But so that the children of God can come up here humble themselves before an almighty God, feel His loving arms around them, lifting them up, and giving them the strength to carry on. And sometimes, 
in our lives. We just need God to press the reboot button. We need to be reminded. I think there's some people in this room right now that need to come down here and insert your name. God's going to go, what are you doing here? And he will remind you who you are, whose you are, how loved you are, what, it, what he was willing to pay to set you free. And you could get back up on your feet with the help of the arms of Jesus and be better than when you walked up here. And I encourage you to take advantage of these steps today. Whatever God is saying to you, listen to the still small voice in your heart and do what he says. Would you stand with me? In Jesus' name I pray, Heavenly Father, with all of the burdens and all of the cares that we carry with us, that we, have, that we realize that not only do you want to carry our burdens, you're willing to carry us. So Father, I pray right now that we would yield to you into your arms and to let you take care of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.